We are going to have communion today, so uh, we'll have the main message here kind of in anticipation of going to the Lord's table later on, which we always look forward to. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. That's where we'll start today, Mark chapter 10. And I'll open with prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have, again, of gathering together and studying your word together. And Lord, we pray that in our study of the word that you'll help us to see you more clearly and that you'll help us to see ourselves more clearly where we stand in relation to you. We are your children. You are our father. And uh, we thank you that we can be part of your family. And uh, it's a family that will exist for all eternity together. What a joy that is. And what a confidence it gives us. So thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Mark chapter 10, we read an interesting story about a particular individual that I think we can learn a lesson from. Because this man uh, that we're going to read about kind of symbolizes what 21st century uh, people are like. Uh, even in some cases, 21st century Christians so hopefully we can learn from his lesson today and what Jesus taught him. Uh, this story starts in Mark 10. Uh, we'll actually begin here in verse uh, 17 for now. The rich young man. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? This is an interesting individual, this rich young man. You know, if Jesus had been looking for a new recruit to be one of the apostles, a man to add to his team, this seems to have been one of the best candidates that Jesus ever encountered in all of the Gospels. You know, we read stories about some of the people that he uh, encountered, uh, a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who wanted to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus, but he was actually a cheat. He was a dishonest man, and Jesus was trying to encourage him to live the right way and to do the right thing. You know, another individual that Jesus encountered, remember the woman at the well. Uh, 
She was interested in, in Jesus' teaching and perhaps had the capacity to become a disciple, but she had had five husbands and was currently living with a man. So this guy, by comparison, looks great. He looks like an outstanding possible recruit. You know, he's zealous. He came running up to Jesus to, to seek more information. He was sincere. You know, he knelt down before Jesus when he started talking to him. You know, he's concerned about the issues of eternal life. We would think, boy, if this guy ever came to church, we'd love to have him as a church member. He, he looks great, you know, a, a rich young guy. Uh, he's a ruler, uh, one of the other gospel accounts mentions, uh, perhaps in the synagogue. So this guy's really on the ball. He's interested about Jesus. He's interested about the kingdom of God and the eternal life. And he's got questions. You know, we would welcome this guy into church in a heartbeat. You know, Jesus was probably thinking, wow, compared to these other 12 guys I've got who are always fighting as to which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to sit in the, in, at the right hand of the Lord in the kingdom, this guy looks like a wonderful person and a wonderful recruit. But, you know, we look at him and we kind of judge him through human eyes. But you know what? This turned out to be the only individual in the New Testament who goes away after an, an encounter with Jesus, very sad. So you see, we look at things physically and from the surface, but God looks at the heart. He, he looks at, at the underneath things that, that go on. This man made a tremendous arrival on the scene and a sorrowful departure. Why did this happen? What happened to this guy? He had such potential. Well, this man is typical of many people today in our 21st century, who say, you know, if there is a God, and He is good, God is good, then I'm sure He will reward nice people as long as we do our best. That was His uh, philosophy, and, and that's what He seemed to believe. All, is, all we have to do is do our best, and God is good, and He's going to reward us for doing our best. A good God rewarding nice people for doing their best. I think that this guy thought that he had it made. He was doing all the right things, uh, and God would reward him. I think he just came to Jesus to be affirmed. He expected Jesus to say, you know, my good, my good man, you're on the right road. Uh, you're, everything you're doing is right. Uh, you're keeping the law. You're doing this. You're doing that. Uh, you've got it made. I think that that's what the man was seeking, but that isn't what he ended up finding from Jesus. Jesus took a completely different approach. And like I said, today, you know, as you're dealing with your friends in this world, here we are as Christians, we're out there trying to live the Christian life uh, by the grace of God, and sometimes we come in contact with people and we get in conversations with people, and a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I'm a religious person, I try to be nice to everyone. I give as much as I can. And I have confidence in that. You know, I don't need to go to church and I, I don't need to go any, really any deeper than what I'm doing. I think what I'm doing is fine compared to a lot of other people in this world. You know, this is the kind of person who maybe goes to Joel Osteen uh, <laughs> conferences and, you know, you got to feel good about yourself. God loves you, and, you know, just do, try to do the right thing, you know, be as, as good as you can, and, 
and be a caring person. You know, one commentator writing on this passage that we just read said this, This fellow is part of a special group scarcely touched by the gospel. This man, this rich young man, is a part of a special group scarcely touched by the gospel. Now, he heard the gospel, but he was scarcely touched by it. It didn't really have an impact in his life. Not that he doesn't know the gospel, but he was not touched by the gospel. He was scarcely touched by it. The writer C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer uh, from many years ago, described this group of people as nice people lost in their niceness. Nice people lost in their niceness. It's their niceness, their goodness, their religious interest that prevents them from entering the kingdom of God. So even though this guy seemed to be doing a lot of good things, uh, he seemed kind of convinced that he was going to be in the kingdom of God. He just wanted to be affirmed by Jesus. But Jesus taught him what it really takes to be in the kingdom of God. In fact, the entire gospel of Mark is centered on the kingdom of God. That's the theme of the Gospel of Mark, the kingdom of God. He talks a lot about the kingdom of God and how it must be entered. It teaches a lot about how the kingdom must be entered. And we all want to be in the kingdom of God, so we need to take note. You know, here in the, the Gospel of Mark, back in chapter 1, it doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus and who he descended from and all that sort of thing like the other Gospels do, but it just dives right into Jesus' ministry. And one of the first things that Jesus says in this Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. That's the theme of the, the uh, Gospel of, of Mark. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus said, I have come representing the, God, the uh, kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is all about me, Jesus said. So repent from your past beliefs and, and all of your past sins. Believe the good news. In other words, the Gospel why I've come. I've come to die on the cross for the sins of the human race, and I've come to establish the kingdom of God. So the church is the kingdom of God on earth right now. And in the future, the kingdom of God is going to rule over the whole world. So Jesus taught, if you want to know God, see me, look at me, because I'm here to represent God. I am God, the Son of God, and I've come here to bring the kingdom to this earth. If you want to enter the kingdom, meet me. That's what Jesus taught, because I'm the representative of the kingdom. I have come to establish the kingdom of God. Repent, turn from your selfless, selfish sins, and believe God. Believe the good news that I've come to bring, and you'll enter the kingdom of God. Notice in Mark chapter 9, again, he talks about the kingdom of God. Mark 9, beginning in verse 43, he talks about how vital the kingdom of God is. Mark 9, beginning in verse 43, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life, the kingdom of God, crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Wow, those are strong words. Jesus says the kingdom of God is so vital, it is the most important thing that you have to deal with in this life of yours on earth. You want to be in the kingdom of God. You want to live eternally with God forever. And it's worth getting rid of some of your bodily parts. Now, Jesus didn't mean this literally. But he was saying, whatever there is in your life that might keep you out of the kingdom, it would be better for you to dispose of those things so that you can focus on Jesus, so that you could focus on the kingdom of God. That's what it takes to, to enter the kingdom. The kingdom of God is so vital that you should get rid of anything that might keep you out. So what Jesus is doing here, talking about the kingdom of God, is he's calling on men and women to submit to his kingdom rule. He's the king of the kingdom. He has been given authority. He is all about the kingdom of God. And our attitude has to be to submit to him totally in this life if we want to make it into the kingdom. You know, in, in this 21st century world that we live in, if you ask people today, well, why, why did Jesus come? What was that all about? And their answer is, I think he came to make me happy. I think he came to make me feel good about myself. And that's not why he came. But that's what a lot of people, and even some Christians, think today. But it's all about me feeling good about myself. That's why he came. Uh, he wants my life to be happy in, in, in all respects. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is a king. He commands us to bow down underneath his authority in every aspect of our life. He will accept nothing less than 100% allegiance from us. That's the way we have to look at our life as a Christian. And that needs to govern everything that we do in our life. We submit 100% to Jesus Christ as our King and as our Lord. So it's in this context in the Gospel of Mark that this man comes to Jesus. And notice here in uh, Mark 10, verse 14, just before this man arrives on the scene, Jesus is teaching his apostles about little, little children and their attitude. It says in verse 13 of Mark 10, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He, saw, uh, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. So another teaching about the kingdom of God is we don't enter the kingdom of God with self-sufficiency, with uh, uh, the focus on ourselves and, and what a good person we have been. 
and continue to be as a Christian. You know, so many, so many things about Christian life living in this world is about comparisons. And so many times we're quick to compare ourselves to others who are worse than us, we think. But, in, you know, in God's sight, we're all the same. When we're called to, to come to Jesus Christ for salvation, we're all sinners. None of us is better or worse than anybody else. We're all in the same category. And he calls us out of our sinfulness. Uh, he calls us to have an attitude of humility, okay? And that's the attitude of a child. A child is helpless. And Jesus wants us to understand that that's the condition that we're in, in our sins. We're helpless. Uh, we're without hope, okay? Uh, we don't have strength. You know, when you think of a little baby, a lot of animals are able to fend for themselves when they're very young and very little. Human beings, for some reason, are not able to take care of themselves. You know, uh, you find a, a, an animal out in the woods, maybe its mother got killed, and a, a little animal or a, a little family of animals, in a lot of cases, pretty much they can kind of fend for themselves as they get a little older and, and you know, God's put instincts in them. The way God created us as human beings is we're totally helpless. You know, you little, put a little baby on the side of the road, and what's it going to do? It can't do anything. It can't feed itself. It can't change itself. It can't do anything. It's totally uh, helpless. So God wants us to see ourselves as little children. We truly need to feel that we are helpless without God, totally alone and helpless in our sins. We don't have the power to do anything about our condition. And I remember one author that I really uh, enjoy reading, his last name is Capon, and he talks about our condition before being saved, and he says, really, we're dead. That's how helpless we are. We are dead in our sins. And remember I told you, uh, we had a sermon a couple years ago about this uh, grip that God gives us when, when he calls us. He reaches down and he grabs our hand and he holds on to it in, in that uh, powerful grip that he has. And we don't even have the power to lift up our hands to meet the Lord's grip because we're dead. We're totally powerless and weak in our sins. We're dead in our sins. That's the condition that we're in. And it's God who comes by and stoops down and picks us up and lifts us up and gives us life. So you see, before we were called and before we became Christians, we were totally dead, totally helpless, totally hopeless. That's the condition that we were in. And you know what? We needed a savior. We came to the point where we realized we can't go on like this. We're destroying our life. We have no hope for the future. And we realized that we needed a savior. And the Holy Spirit helped us see that at one point in time. And we now rely on our savior, Jesus Christ. He is our life. That's how desperately we need him on a daily basis. Because without him, we're totally lost. That's how God wants us to see our salvation. It's not based on our goodness or our niceness or how much we give or how much we do good works. Those things are fine. They're, they're important. But first and foremost, we come to see how desperately we need Jesus Christ. We have to give our full allegiance to him. He is our king. He's the king of the kingdom. And we bow down to him and submit to him in everything. 
So here comes this young man along, and we take note of his attitude, okay? Uh, we're here in Mark 10, verse 14. Mark 10, verse 14. Or rather, verse 17. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He calls Jesus a teacher, a good teacher, and Jesus replies, you know, why do you call me good? Uh, there's none good. Isn't that what the scripture says? There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's Romans 3, verse 10. So here's Jesus in his humanity responding to this man, saying, uh, you know, only God is good. You, do you think that I'm God? <laughs> you know, he doesn't say that, but he's kind of testing this man's attitude to see how he really views Jesus Christ. So he says here, Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. So he's feeling out this man's attitude and kind of where he's coming from and what he thinks of himself. Because what Jesus is looking for is the attitude of realizing how needy you are and how helpless you are and how lost you are as a person. You know, it's hard to get people to admit that they are helpless and needy and lost. People would prefer to say, well, uh, I'm not lost, <laughs> and I'm not really needy. I'm pretty self-sufficient myself. And that tended to be what this man's attitude was. I'm healthy. Uh, I'm religious. I'm good. I'm well thought of. Isn't that enough? You know, isn't God pleased with that? And Jesus is trying to get this man to see, no, that isn't enough. It's going to keep you out of the kingdom, that attitude that you have. So Jesus brings up the subject of the Ten Commandments, and this man is very confident that he keeps them well. He says, verse 19, well, you know, the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this man is thinking, well, yeah, I got that pretty much down pat. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. So he was pretty confident about his goodness, his uh, obedience to the commandments. But Jesus brings up a couple of other commandments that he needs to consider. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. So Jesus is the master physician. He's the great physician. And when he deals with us, you know, when you go to a doctor, uh, the doctor always seems to find what exactly is wrong with you. You know, he can always find the right spot to touch when he kind of probes you. You know, he takes your blood pressure, he looks down your, your throat, he looks in your ears, he looks in your eyes, you know, he takes your temperature, he does many things. And if the physician is, is worth anything, he or she is going to find what the problem is. <coughs> I know sometimes when you go to the dentist and they get out these sharp instruments and you get your teeth cleaned and you get your exam and that person, you know, as they poke around, they seem to always find the spot that hurts. 
and you know they stick that thing in there and you kind of wince oh that's it that's the spot that's that's where the pain's been caused you know uh, my wife works with a woman who is a massage therapist <coughs> and uh, sometimes when I pull a muscle or uh, something hurts somewhere in my body as far as a muscle is concerned I go there and she kind of works on on me you know and I say my calf muscle I think I may have pulled something there so I lie on the table on, on my stomach and she starts you know with her thumbs and with her fingers manipulating that and she always finds the one spot and she touches it and it hurts and I you know wince and I go ouch that's it that's the spot and then she'll work on it some more and you know get that muscle moving Jesus is like that <coughs> You know, we present ourselves in a certain way to God, but God can see below the surface. He sees the heart. He knows what the real problem is. We may think it's something else, but maybe it's an attitude that we have. Or, or, or maybe it's something that we're trying to hide from, from others. And maybe people can't see what our problem is and they don't know what our sin is. But you know what? God gets right to the heart of it. And he knew this man's weakness. This, this man's weakness was his possessions. He had a lot of money, and he struggled with that because he had a lot of money, he had a lot of possessions, and he put such importance on his possessions rather than on God. His allegiance was to his money and to his possessions and not on God. So the man thought he was pretty good. He's doing good works, he's giving, he's uh, nice, He's working on the commandments. He, you know, he's kept them from his youth. And he's thinking, well, that's enough, Jesus. Just you know, verify now that I'm going to make it into the kingdom. But uh, Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. So again, verse 18, Why do you call me good? Jesus said, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, and, and don't forget, Jesus will get to the heart of the matter in your life because he loves you. You know, he doesn't point out your failings to you uh, because he hates you or he wants to punish you. He does it because he loves you. And you know, if you're struggling in your life and you don't understand why you're having problems and you pray about it, you ask Jesus, point it out to me. What is it about me that needs to change? Is it my attitude? Is it my outlook? What is it? And you know what? Jesus will get right to the heart of the matter. And he'll do his probing and he'll point out to you. It may not come instantaneously, but if you're diligent and over the course of time you keep praying about it, He'll show you what your attitude problem is, where your failing is. So he tells him, sensing that his problem is his money and his possessions, he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, is this a blanket statement that we should all sell what we have, give to the poor, so that we can come and follow Jesus? No, not necessarily, because this was this man's problem. It was his wealth and his possessions that he put before God. And Jesus is telling him, listen, if you want to be in the kingdom, Jesus says, I have to be first in your life. You have to give all your allegiance to me. 
before anything else, because I'm the king of the kingdom you want to belong to. You need to look to me as number one, and nothing can get in the way. So in this man's life, it was his wealth and it was his possessions. Now in our lives, it very likely is something else. We want to be in the kingdom of God. And sometimes we come before God and say, well, you know, God, I think I'm doing pretty well so far. Uh, you know, especially I look at my friends, the people I work with, you know, they're on drugs, they're on alcohol, they got the gambling problem, they're an abuser of women, they're, they're this, they're that, and we look pretty good. And a lot of times when we approach God, we approach him not as little children who are helpless and lost, but we come as this guy comes before God thinking, okay, God, I just need your affirmation now. I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm holding my own. You know, I just put a good offering in the basket the other week and uh, did a good deed for the neighbor. Uh, but you know what? God can get right to the heart of our lives and he will point out to us what needs to be changed and where we're not putting Jesus as number one in our lives. And just as he did with this man, he'll do with us. And he needs to do with us. Because we need to be careful that we're not putting anything of more importance in our life than Jesus. Because in order to get to the kingdom, Jesus has to be number one. So he prided himself on his commandment keeping. And that's fine. Keeping the commandments is fine. But you know what? Uh, there was another individual who kept the commandments without fail in his life. Let's go ahead and turn there. Philippians 3, verse 6. Philippians 3, verse 6. I think the Apostle Paul put it in proper perspective. Philippians 3, verse 6. Paul was talking about his early life when he was Saul of Tarsus a Pharisee. And he was very similar to this man. He kind of prided himself on his commandment keeping. But notice what he says here in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 6. Well, we'll pick it up here in verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, as the rich young ruler did, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, as the law commanded, Paul's talking about himself, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So you see, that's what the rich young ruler had, legalistic righteousness. A righteousness in keeping of the law. He was faultless. Verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, Paul's talking about his past life when he was such a good person, a keeper of the law, zealous for God, he was a Pharisee. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. For what reason? For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. 
So the lesson Paul learned and the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach this rich young ruler is don't put your confidence in anything except knowing Jesus and submitting to him and putting full allegiance in him as the king of the kingdom of God and the savior of all of us and the ruler of the world and our redeemer. That's where our confidence must be. That's where our allegiance must be. And we can't put it in any other thing. We can't put it in our possessions. We can't put it in our wealth. And we can't put it in our own legalistic righteousness either. Paul says that is all garbage. And, you know, Paul was sincere. Paul was very zealous to keep the law as he had been taught. And he did it without fault. But now he realizes that all of that was a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Paul had seen Jesus and he had seen himself. And he put things in perspective. And he said, you know what, Lord, without you, I'm lost. Without you, I'm totally helpless. And any facade that I put up in my life thinking that, well, I'm, I can be good enough to make it to heaven, or if I give enough money, I can make it to heaven, or Jesus says, it's me. It's all about me. You want to know who can inherit eternal life? You want to know who can make it into the kingdom of God? Jesus says, it's all about me. Your relationship with me. You submitting to me. You honor me. You believe who I am, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So, you know, the disciples say to Jesus after this is all done, Jesus says how hard it is for a rich to enter the kingdom and how hard it is for a lot of people to enter the kingdom because they're hung up on their own personal life and the things that they put as priority in their life. You know, Jesus says to him, you've kept all these commandments that I mentioned, but how about the first one? You shall have no other gods before the true God. And Jesus is explaining to this guy, you're putting your wealth and your possessions as your God. You're putting them before me. And furthermore, Jesus says, how about the second commandment? You shouldn't make any idols to worship. So all those possessions that you have, you need to get rid of them because they're keeping you out of the kingdom of God. So what can Jesus say to us personally? What, what is there about our life? What is there about our priorities that may keep us out of the kingdom of God? Because we're not putting Jesus as the priority in our life. We're not giving our full allegiance to him. We're giving it to something else. And the reason Jesus did this was because he loved the man. It, it puts that there in the scripture. He loved them. That's why he corrected them. So he came to Jesus to be affirmed in his selfish lifestyle. And the tables were turned on him. He wanted to hear a message from Jesus that makes him feel good about himself. And Jesus wasn't going to do that. Because Jesus wants him in the kingdom. He doesn't necessarily want the man to feel good about himself. He wants the man to realize that he's dead without Jesus. He's dead in his sins. He's totally helpless. He's lost. And only Jesus can bring him out of his deadness in his helplessness. So for all of his goodness, he still had questions in his mind, 
because all his outward religion wasn't answering what was really going on in his heart. And you know what? When you approach Jesus as a little child, and if, as you, when you approach Jesus as a person who's been dead in their sins, and now Jesus has raised you up and he has given you a new life in the Holy Spirit, then you can truly have confidence because your confidence is not in yourself and how much good stuff you can do. Your confidence is in Jesus. The path to God is not the path of doing good. You know, the Ten Commandments are not a ladder that we climb up to get to God. The Ten Commandments are a mirror that we're to look in to see how much we need Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the point that God wants us to come to. You've got to realize how vitally you need a Savior in your life. And you've got to realize that you're a sinner. Jesus can't help you if you don't realize you're a sinner because you have no need for a Savior. Didn't Jesus say that a doctor can only help somebody who's sick? You've got to come to the point where you realize that you're sick and you need a physician, you need a doctor. Well, you, we've got to realize that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. And if you think that you're kind of good enough to make it and you only come to Jesus for affirmation, he's going to turn the tables on you just like he did on this man. The kingdom of God demands your first allegiance over anything else. A rich man's allegiance is to his acquisitions and the maintenance of his wealth. Did his sorrow lead to repentance? We don't know. He went away sorrowful. That's where the story ends. Whatever happened to this man, we like to hope that somehow the point was made and maybe later on he came to realize that what Jesus said to him was absolutely true. Only after you get rid, or let me put it this way, only after you give highest allegiance to Jesus can you truly follow him. So I dare say there's a lot of people in our society today who think that they're following Jesus. But until they give him their full allegiance, they're not really following him. So we hope the best for this man. You know, we like to think that maybe later on he, he turned his life around and he became a leader in the church. We don't know. All we can know is about ourselves. Let's realize who we are without Jesus. We're nothing. And we must give him his, our full allegiance. In fact, he demands it from us. And... In that way, we can be assured that we're going to be in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us the example of this man. And it was, wasn't only because he was rich that he had trouble entering into the kingdom. He put his allegiance elsewhere. And we can do that too, Lord. When we look at our lives, there are many things that we could be putting our allegiance in other than Jesus Christ. Help us to correct that uh, big mistake. Help us to look to Jesus continually. And that's why we're here, Lord, as we gather together in your presence. We're being reminded of the importance of Jesus in our life. He is our king. And he demands our, our full allegiance and submission to him. Help us to do that on a daily basis. Help us to come to church to show him and to show you, Father, where our allegiance lies. So uh, we're going to be coming to the communion table, Lord, and uh, as we do that, touch each of our hearts and remind us who made this all possible.
who gave his body and blood so that we can be resurrected from death in our sins and brought to life in the spirit. It was because of Jesus. And we celebrate him today. We worship him today. And we praise him today, Lord. So thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have the